I think Tom Waits said it best on his album, Mule Variations, the song, Come on up to the house, he said, uh, come on down off the cross, we could use the wood, which I think is very, uh, <laughs> it's a good one. I don't know what it really means, but I like it. So as many of you may or may not know, I'm kind of a football gambling degenerate of sorts, but not hardcore, but just the degenerate side, which I, which I cultivate or I, uh, I curate quite well. Um, uh, and, uh, so I'll tell you this, that I am a, uh, sorely disappointed at the spectacularly unspectacular performance of my boy, Josh Allen. Now, um, just, uh, what was it, nine to six? It was. Is this a soccer match that I'm watching? Because uh, I've never had an affinity for the Bills until uh, this guy came along, and I like this guy. And, uh, and a reason I, I like the guy is because he's tough, man. He's tough. He's from Fireball, Fireball, California, which is odd because I, in school, I had a friend named John Ashbaugh, which I guess is the direct result of a Fireball. But Fireball is, if you go to Fresno, and then you're in Fresno and you're wondering why you're in Fresno, now drive east to the middle of nowhere, and that's where Fireball is. Kind of dead center in the uh, Central Valley of California there, and nobody goes there. Matter of fact, when I was selling cars uh, with the internet team that I was, uh, that we, that we had cobbled together, me and a couple other guys, an ex-policeman, and, uh, and then, and then, uh, Jonathan, who was this braced, he had, uh, he had braces on, um, as a grown man, and, uh, played a lot of video games, and, uh, we had, I had, I had, I'd either had the day off, or I'd already gone home, and somebody, one, uh, an appointment of mine came in, which, they came in unannounced, which they do, and, but Jonathan took over the deal, which I was half on the deal because they asked for me and I, and he was in the system, but they had to, uh, long and short of it was he made the deal. He sold the car, but they had to get stips, which is like, uh, stipulations, like, mm, like paper documentation of whatever. Usually it's a proof of insurance, proof of income, proof of residence, some kind of proof, some kind of documented paper proof that you as the salesman have to retrieve. So you have to follow them to their place of residence to retrieve this because you need the original document, the copy. And this particular guy lived in Fireball <laughs> that bought the car. So from Modesto, it was still a two and a half hour drive or something like that, something ridiculous. And he even called me. It was like a, a he, it was a late night deal, no less. It was like 10 o'clock or something that they finally made the deal. And he called me up and he was like, hey, man, I made this deal, and uh, but I got a chase for Stips. Can you go to Fireball? And I'm like, nope. Sorry, my friend. And at that point, I made the decision to be a dick. <laughs> and it wasn't even being a dick. It was that I didn't want to go to Fireball, like most people. Because I don't think people go to Fireball. I think they end up in Fireball. But anyway, that's where my boy Josh Allen's from. And he's one of those country-fed you know, corn chucking, you know, country strong, freakishly retard strength type quarterbacks, right? And he went to one of my favorite uh, militia states uh, for college, Wyoming. He went to University of Wyoming, which is not a NCAA powerhouse by any means. But now he's the head quarterback for the Bills. And he saw, well, he's great. He had a great season last year. Matter of fact, he went to the AFC championships last year, uh, but they lost. But Nevertheless, the Bills hadn't won a um, playoff game in, geez, like, what, a decade? Something ridiculous like that. But good for him. But any, long and short of it is now I'm putting my money on this guy as a degenerate gambler. And he's farting and falling. And I'm just kind of bummed. So, whatever. 
but I got pumped. I was driving last night. I uh, had my Grass Valley route. I'm going to start incorporating a stop there to see my dad, who's in a um, who's in a lockdown facility, which at some point um, they're going to probably put me in for other reasons, I'm sure. But uh, But he's up in Grass Valley, and uh, so I make my... So I do my uh, obligatory uh, pickups and so forth for the donor centers. And uh, on the way back, you know, I usually wrap up about 5.30 or 6. And I get a call to go to Gridley of all places. Like there's there's a um, hospital in Gridley. Matter of fact, uh, a few months back I'd gone, they, you know, sometimes on a Saturday they have me take stuff platelets blood what have you to these outposts which are regarded as hospitals but i um, they're the slimmest definition of a hospital it's usually some i don't know it's like a it's like a retrofitted like old building or what used to be maybe a hospital but it's it but is but but it's still a hospital and there's usually like cigarette butts kind of crammed into the, the you know the cracks of the sidewalk and stuff and you walk in security is usually asleep you got to wake them up or the registration people to tell you ask you how to get to the lab and so i made this drive last night i had to go to gridley of all places gridley is this kind of a um Gridley is not pretty. Gridley is just north of Yuba City. And you know how I feel about Yuba City. Um, but Gridley is more like a head wound above Yuba City. And um, so I, you know, begrudgingly took the job, whatever. Um, it's one of those towns probably, you know... Like Fireball, it's kind of like, it's a town so unspectacular that it doesn't even get a completed spelling when you start typing it in your search bar for anything, for directions, for Google information. Like I say, spectacularly unspectacular. But So I go up there, but what I've been, I'd been up there before, I'd, I'd gone up there, uh, was it Calusa, the town of Calusa, which had another little kind of vacated, bombed out looking, demilitarized zone of a hospital. And, uh, I got up there and it's usually in the evenings too. It's usually by this time it's getting dark. It's late and fair enough. Uh, as I'm driving up there though, I, uh, a crappy negative, man. I, as my hunt for music happens, as my search goes on for music, I, um, invariably fall upon like Tom Waits and and I I tip matter of fact more specifically I go to the album Rain Dogs which is a great album it's kind of sandwiched in between um his other two releases with Island Records that Chris Blackwell signed him to uh Swordfish Trombones and uh, what was the other the one after that was uh uh Un momento, por favor. Oh, Frank's Wild Years. Yeah. So, um, great album. The album, which includes uh, appearances by Keith Richards, uh, which is, you'd never suspect, but um, it's kind of been hailed by, uh, by in particular, Rolling Stone as... Uh, kind of an old dirty pre-rock dirty blues elegiac of melancholy and and like the sound of like a new york new orleans funeral it's like music that would say come from i don't know it sounds like well it's 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 a gritty album and i, I it dawned on me like why the hell why the hell am i um going up every time i go up in that general direction that I feel inclined to play Rain Dogs. And, I, and I'm not even exaggerating. This is not hyperbole in any way. Um, 
but it's really got a, uh, it's, uh, well, the Rolling Stone critic Arion Berger praised the album, describing the music as bony and menacingly beautiful, but it's got some real gritty songs about singing about Singapore, we sail tonight for Singapore, I've fallen for a tawny more, you know, it talks about the sewers of Paris and blah, 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 and just dark shit, you know, quite literally. And, uh, but I was wondering, like, what the, what is the connection? And lo and behold, okay, so as I do a little search for this, on this, on our boy Tom Waits here, who's just immensely influential, uh, been around forever. I mean, he was back in, you know, his, um, his first couple albums were like early seventies. He's from Pomona. I didn't realize he was even from uh, Pomona and did a lot of time in, um, San Diego and had a real, um, had a real affinity for that. You know, just the, again, like the underbelly of society, which is hard. I don't know. I mean, it exists in San Diego to a degree, but uh, you would never associate that with San Diego. But but during the summers, he visited... And this is in the Wikipedia. The Wikipedia, I'm not even making this up. I was, it blew my mind the other night when I was following up on this. But um, he learned to play the bugle and guitar. Just odd kind of... Odd kind of... Uh, musical expressions and uh, real gritty kind of folky jazz inspired blend of uh, guttural underbelly of society type stuff but uh, but during the summers he visited maternal relatives in Gridley and Marysville he later recalled that it was an uncle's raspy gravelly voice that inspired the manner in which he later sang I'm like what the fuck you gotta be joking but sure enough Gridley fucking Gridley California gridly my god so the reality though i guess is that it doesn't really matter i mean the there there are good and bad things about any place right okay i talk shit about all kinds of places like yuba city chowchilla um lodi shit even sacramento it's an old cow town it's still a cow town we've deluded ourselves into thinking it's anything more than that trying to turn it into some kind of metropolitan hub, which it's not, but, um, but what translates is, see, you can create a whole world within a world wherever you're at. For example, when I was working in Modesto, that was the center of my universe. That was where all the action was happening, yet it's still a little shitty Modesto, a little tiny nothing backwater Modesto. Um, although I will say it's quite, it's it's quite nice. It's an accessible town. If you're, if you like Yosemite, you're an hour and a half from Yosemite. People flying in from all over the world, literally flying in from all over the world to go see Yosemite and you live an hour and a half there away and you're in Modesto. So don't, don't complain to Modesto about me because, you know, it's your own fault if you don't go out and look at the beauty of the world when you're an hour and a half away from it. Um, so, getting back on point, I guess the real uh, the real thread, the real narrative, or the real um, the real binding thread in all of this is, is, the, is, is kind of the, the passion with which you uh conduct yourself okay and how excuse me and how that translates into anything else because i'll tell you this when i was slinging cars in modesto uh the amount of training and passion and uh fighting and you know like i said i was almost choked out that kid rubicava and you know this is the same this is the same dealership where guys would take it out back and 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 settle something you know if they you know 
fought over a customer, they fought over a deal, they fought over money, they fought over anything. You know, this is not so far removed from old school ethics, you know, but uh, but when I migrated north up here to uh, Roseville, I worked a short stint at uh, Roseville Toyota. There was literally 75 salesmen on hand, on point on a Saturday, 75 in the course of a Saturday versus whatever we had, like 10, 12. But can you imagine me? What it was so crazy working for John L. Sullivan, who I met, who wasn't that, I wasn't that impressed, but he had, he had basically a corral of these young green peas that are just stuffed into like a little tent. And then they were dispersed like Pez to go attack the, the people driving in to go round up their ups, to go, to go calling up, to go get on point, to call the next customer. You're literally, literally, you were corralled into a pen. I watched this from uh, when I was doing, it was the, I was doing the special finance across the street for all the real lucrative credit cases. But, uh, but when I'd walk across to the main building to go into the corporate offices, you just see a bunch of these little scrawny, skinny, geeky little green peas literally crammed into a, like a, a you know, a makeshift tent off to the edge of the uh off to the edge of the front parking there where customers pulled in where they could get out call ups and once they got it up the next guy would get popped out just like a little lemon flavored pez unbelievable but regardless of where you're at in life or where you're literally living you know geographically it's about passion you know um and that translates you know like like I was saying like I've been kind of yapping about this whole string theory and the vibrations and uh, how they connect into living beings and the, you know, the water, the vibes in the water, the positive vibes and negative vibes. That's all passion. That's all, uh, it's in, it's in one direction or another. So regardless of where you are, you know, <clears throat> you can create passion wherever you, wherever you're at. Um, another example I want to kind of delve into was uh well again this guy bill buford i'm um i found his book dirt adventures in leon as a chef in training father and sleuth looking for the secret of french cooking and when i was listening to this uh, uh well i was listening to mark Marin interviewing anthony board i it just been kind of in a weird groove with all these guys and Marin was a short order cook, a, a very unsuccessful short order cook uh, back in his early days before he really got his hooks into stand-up comedy. And he made a connection with Bourdain in the fact that there are very common, very similar, very parallel commonalities in the field of stand-up comedy and cooking because and that's and that uh, that's true that's kind of my thesis this whole mm, podcast this whole time kind of my whole the hill i'm gonna die on here is the passion or the energy that you bring to your uh performance or your food or your sale is translated to the customer and they feel it they get it it's like a dog like if you your dog's gonna mimic the energy you have you come up to your dog and you're slapping your thighs and you're jumping up and down and you're looking at him and he's his ears go up and he's getting excited and he's getting up on his back legs and he's get you know he's climbing up onto the side of you he's gonna mimic your energy he's gonna reflect your energy but if you come at him like a dead battery it's gonna be this yeah he's gonna just you know, he's going to look at you, maybe cock his head. He was not, he's not going to move. He's not going to get up off his ass. You, you know, you reflect the energy you put out. So, so Marin, uh, he, he, he made a good, he made a really valid and interesting point to Bardane. He said, at the end of the day, when you come out of the kitchen and you're covered in grease and you have that first cigarette, it goes beyond like <clears throat> what, you know, you just like the, type of meal you just cooked 
although that has something to do with it, but it's like this, this general satisfaction that you've done the best you can. Back when I was smoking and I got done with a deal, man, that was the best cigarette of the day. You get done selling a car. It's a high, man. It's high. It's, it's a drug, you know, acting, you know, stand up comedy, you get done with a set and you just killed, man, and you just slaughtered that room <clears throat> and they're just bent over laughing. You get done that that cigarette you have out back. Oh my god. I mean, that's near orgasmic. It's it's indescribable, but it's the translation of the passion that you just that you just wielded in translating what you felt to the audience via your your act or your performance, or your routine, or your food, and, uh, but getting, uh, but getting back to another element, uh, you're talking geographically speaking, so this guy, Buford, who I'm, I'm, I, I listened to a couple more interviews with him, and he, he made mention, and, and it kind of parallels, of course, what he's talking about in the book, Dirt, the uh two there's twofold there's two things going on uh well first of all just the mere fact that he had the fucking balls like the 10 pound brass balls to uproot his family he's got two uh he's got his at this point two year old almost three year old twin boys and his wife and he just goes out on a limb procures a visa <clears throat> through uh i think it was daniel balud um, who is, who is from Leon. See, everyone said, okay, you're crazy. Like you're insane. Like he, particularly the French, cause they knew what he was doing. And the French are lunatics. I mean, they're literally lunatics. Um, some of these, uh, some of these chefs, like this guy, the first guy that they encounter when they get into Leon, this guy, Mark Verat, he's in, he's clinically insane. Uh, he, he, he looks like, uh, Danny DeVito in, uh, Batman Returns when he, when DeVito played the penguin, he looks like the penguin. He looks like Danny DeVito's version of the penguin, kind of this pale pointy nose, weird looking dude in a kind of a cape shirt and a funky hat, like a wizard hat. It's, it's all too much sometimes, you know, but that's the passion and the lunacy of these guys because they are insane because like the passion sometimes overwhelms you and you and it makes you a little loony and it makes you a little flamboyant or crazy or eccentric and that was another point that Bourdain illuminated in the interview with Mark Marin is like these guys are all misfits and that is something I can confer with because as a salesman in the car business or even somebody like uh Rogan talks about stand-up comedy or other comics talking about, you know, guys like Bill Burr and stuff like that. These guys are misfits. These guys are square peg, the 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 eternal square peg in the round hole. Like they don't necessarily fit into the the regular tetris of society. And so once they find that uh that whole slew of likewise like-minded people like like I like a like I generally talk about like that that uh, blind melon video with the bee girl and when she finds all the other people that dress like bees like her like she's home she knows it like you get it like these are my people and that's what french chefs or that's what cooks and chefs do that's what comics do they're misfits they can't hold down a real job a regular job so, um, and car salesmen are, you know, the less artistic version of those two. But once you find that crowd, you definitely, you definitely find your sea legs and you, and, uh, it's, uh, you either, you either click or you don't. And so when he, you know, so when Buford arrived in Leon, they said, okay, he, he, he didn't know where he was going to go originally. He's, he wanted to learn French cooking. He said, I'm going to go to Paris. And they said, no, don't go to Paris. It's too metropolitan. It's too like spread out. He said, well, what about champagne? What about this? What about... And they said, no, but... And they said, 
you should try going to Lyon. In Lyon, and they said, yes, that's it. That's that's Lyon. It's such a... Um, it's such a... Uh, unsus- well, not unsuspecting, but... Um, it's such, it's the perfect landing spot because it's its own little entity. Because Lyon is kind of, yeah, like I was saying, where these guys like Daniel Balud came from, these multi-star Michelin chefs. It's the, the mother of French cooking is from Lyon. And uh, Eugenie Brazier, 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 um, born in the 1800s and started La Mer Brazier, the, the, the restaurant where he ultimately would, where Bill, Bill Buford ended up uh, working for, uh, for a length of time. She was this hardcore, just, um, she was kind of just on her own from the beginning. Uh, limited schooling. I mean, she went through two world wars, you know, dealing with Nazi occupation, but the whole time she held down this kitchen and the kitchen was basically like, it was a lot of recipes, but it was like the simplicity. But so it was like, it's kind of like when Sandy Koufax was pitching and he was having no success and they told him just throw strikes, man, like just throw strikes. And as soon as he started finding the strike zone, man, nobody could hit him. It's the simplicity of it, of of it is, uh, what it came to because she was somebody that used just everything local, everything that's, that, that's kind of like the crux of the, or, or a, a subtext of the story of, of this book, Dirt. The reason they call it Dirt is because of the uh, specific, the specific uh, effect that this dirt, this regional dirt had in Lyon. Lyon's kind of this rural area. The town itself, I mean, described by Bill Buford is just... It's kind of got this, uh, in the summer, it's got this kind of stenchy fog that comes down from the Seine, this kind of pollution, the, the streets are covered in dog shit, the people are kind of surly, they don't like anybody, that, they don't like anybody, particularly Americans, or anybody that doesn't speak French, they don't help you with French, and the French, as they say, like D.H. Lawrence, the, the writer said, you know, Paris is great if it weren't for the Parisians, you know, it's just that attitude like, eh, you know, whatever, like, mon dieu, like, go fuck yourself, you know, and uh, so he wasn't offered any help, and once he got into a kitchen, I mean, he just was able to see firsthand the display of what lunatics they were, and and, and really the, well, I mean, it's a male-dominated industry as well, uh, I mean, everyone's abused, like I was saying in the last podcast, you know, there's this young kid, Matthew, who worked in La Mer Brasier. He um, started as a 15-year-old kid, just kind of as an intern or a helper, and then worked his way up through each station, uh, getting abused all along the way until he reached like that tipping point where it got to be where he could then distribute the abuse. And the same went for... Um, this poor girl, uh, Hortense, um, Hortense, Hortense, you don't pronounce the H, but, uh, very French name again, you know, it's not a very sought after name here in the States, but, uh, but this poor girl, you know, was just leveled at with, with abuse and, and, and so was he, I mean, it, um, he was routinely sabotaged by other cooks, by other sous chefs, this poor girl, Hortense, had pots thrown at her. Uh, just one guy, one day, one guy just lost it and just sweeped an entire uh, set of pots off the cooktop. And they clanged to the floor, and then he just started throwing them at her head. You know, just a straight, just, I just, they just became unhinged. But, but, not that that's, 
anywhere near excusable behavior, but what you can see with that is the the the, the passion within that. The direct passion and and uh so if if you know how to channel it and then translate it into your food um then you got something um so yeah so he went so they made it to this town leon which is it's it's its own place i think i think there's a weird relationship with the rest of france that uh they have with leon like nobody <laughs> Like he was saying, like um, something to the effect of he had gone uh, in his search for looking for a kitchen uh, or in his downtime, he had gone to a, another restaurant where he had eaten and uh, he was talking about how the proprietor there was remarking what an accent he had uh, at, at a certain point he had learned French, and then he made it, and then the gentleman had made a comment to this guy Bill Buford about uh, the Leonese accent, and he, which he <laughs> he said uh, he goes, uh, yeah, I was very impressed that, uh, or I felt very self, a lot of self satisfaction in the fact that he could even detect the dialect with which my French speaking had taken. And then the guy turned around and said, um, after remarking about his Leonese accent, he said, uh, I hate the Leonese. <laughs> like they just don't, it's just that it's that play. I don't, it's, um, they, they're probably regarded in a way, say, for example, like if you look at Marin County, if you do a dissection of Marin County and you look at each town, uh, starting from the Golden Gate Bridge up to Novato, you'll go, okay, so if you come out of the city across the Golden Gate Bridge, the first town you come to is Sausalito, which is the probably one of the priciest, if not the snobbiest of the towns in that set of towns. Then you make your way a little further north, you get to Mill Valley, and that's where all the uh, pill-popping housewives are. The, they call it Mill Valleyum. And then you go a little further, you go to Belvedere, Tiburon, that's where all the, you know, like the drummer from uh, Metallica has a place, Sean Penn, Money, you know, a lot of the buildings are very white, very, very uh, whitewashed. And, uh, you know, and... Particularly, their, so is their ideology, I would assume. And then you get a little further, you go up into, you get closer to San Rafael. San Rafael now becomes a blend. It's kind of a working class blend. Uh, and then the ones that are, you know, the young urban professionals that are probably commuting into the city, that uh, that's where they can afford because it used to be working class, blue collar. Um, but slow, but slowly, if not completely transitioning into, uh, white collar, complete and utter white collar. And then you get, you go a little further north, you get into, um, you get into, uh, Novato and they're the hillbillies and the bumpkins of, of Marin County, even though the houses are all multi-million dollar places. And so that's, you know, Sausalito probably clowns on Novato just the way that Paris clowns on Lyon. And, uh, but the key though, there, wherever you're at, it doesn't really matter is the passion within, uh, whatever it is you do, you can make it wherever you're at, you know, you can, you can, you can make a name for yourself. You can forge an identity with that type of passion, whether it's Modesto, whether it's Sausalito, whether it's Novato, um, you know, there's a lot of great restaurants up in that area, like in Novato area. To be called a, you know, it's all a matter of perspective. To call anybody a bumpkin or a hillbilly from Novato is, uh, boy, you got to really have your your finances in in order, don't you? But uh, no, but passion is is a is a very, uh, again, if you're a salesman, if you're in sales, you're it's going to translate into the connection with your customer. Uh, one thing that we're getting away from, in my opinion, 
is you see like these ads for Carvana and stuff like that. Everything's online. Everybody wants to be, you know, they don't want to be bothered by salesmen. They don't want to be, you know, confronted. They don't want to deal with people. They don't want to be subjected. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to be taken advantage of. So what do they do? They go online, They're, it's which is devoid of emotion. And that, that, that it's really making a push for that online purchase. But, but what you're forfeiting and what you're uh, sacrificing is that uh, emotion in the transaction because car buying is emotional. Like you can look at a car online and then you can look at a car in person and it's two different visceral reactions particularly when you sit in that seat. When you sit in that seat, uh, one of the guys I work with, Billy Shindell, who's, well, he's now in jail for murder, but he said 99% of the deal is behind the wheel. When you set somebody in that driver's seat, the emotion takes over. It, you get charged, man. That string theory, the vibration, the the moisture in your body, the vibration starts to change. It's It's pat, you know, it's like, you're going to have a reaction, good or bad, but it's it's a passionate reaction. Not overly, maybe not overly passionate, but there's passion in there. There's a reaction. There's human emotion. Not online. When you look at something online, you don't get, ex- I mean, the visual may trigger something in your head, but it there's something missing. It's like something in the equation. There's something in the recipe that's not there. It's like, for example, if you're making a baguette, the four the four main ingredients is you know the yeast the water the salt and the flour well if you're looking at something online you're missing one of those four ingredients you know you're missing maybe the the water or you're missing the the salt maybe it's the salt you know something that you can't see directly but you know it's missing it's that passion and you know and that's uh that is the key to to the food because getting back to Eugenie Brazier you know, the mother of all French cooking, she she cooked the simplest of dishes, but it was the translation of, you know, passion in that. You could sense it. And uh, so even like, take for example, like listening to these interviews with, um, with um, Bill Buford, I listened to a couple different ones and I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but the first, the first one I listened to was a a guy, I I can't even, it was so uninspiring. I don't even remember the gentleman's name. I just remember the the name of the podcast, but I'm not going to throw him under the bus because first of all, the telling part of it was that it was a uh, zoomology or online interview or, uh, what do you call it? The, um, where you do it like Skype, like a Skype interview. And he's talking, and he's a right, this gentleman who was on the podcast was interviewing Bill Buford by, through Skype. And there was, it was kind of clunky. There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, you weren't moving the needle a lot up and down with the whole uh, emotion. There was just, it was very like flatlining, kind of one-dimensional, it, and they were reasonably good questions. I mean, particularly coming from uh, his background as a writer. They were both writers. So there was plenty of common ground to go over. But there was just something missing. And I didn't want to... Uh, I'm not going to shit on the guy. But I, I just was... After the interview, I was like, I didn't get anything out of that. But the other one now, I got to give a shout out to this girl, Gilly, who has her... Uh, podcast cooking the books which is uh, she talks particularly or specifically to cooks chefs people in the food industry and she's this english lady who just was really just on it man she was really uh and i couldn't tell if it was in person or not uh it might have been skype but it was so seamless and fluid and she had such a uh level of emotion in her voice and talking to this guy buford that you could sense, I mean, she got a lot out of him and he really, you could see the reaction. Like he was like that other, he was like that dog that, 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 that mimics your energy. 
he was up and about and attentive and full of life and stories and talking about Hortense getting pots thrown at her head and, and this, you know, these, these, these just lunatic French cooks, you know, just screaming and yelling and, you know, that you can, you could, when he talked about the dog shit on the sidewalks, you could almost see the steam coming off it. I mean, it was just that vivid and passionate. So it, it, it translates everywhere. Um, and finally, you know, f- I, I, I tried to get my lady to, um, she's got three dishes. Like she, in my head, my lady's got three dishes that are kind of her signature dishes. She's got a pork red chili that she makes. And then she's got, or uh, yeah, a red pork chili. What did I say? Pork red chili? And and then she makes this potato dish. And then she makes um, just beans with a ham hock. These three distinctive dishes. And I I, I tried to get her. I wanted her to, to talk about them on her own, but she's... Well, she's shy, <laughs> but, but the distinctive quality is that she does it like if she's inspired to do it and then you get, or you've, if she, uh, out of the blue just decides to do it, or if you just get it, to, if you just ask her and it just transpires that she's going to make one of these dishes, it becomes, first of all, the the impressive fashion in which it just becomes um, a an exercise in uh, love and passion. You can sense it. You can. She made the red pork chili um, the other night. I think it was Friday night. Or not, no, Thursday night. Yeah, when I got, I was actually done before like midnight, and um, we put on some music. She made the the chili. And she could probably do it in her sleep, but within uh, within being a somnambulist, ooh, good word, somnambulist, look it up. She would make a, gr- I mean, she, you can just feel the this passion that's translating into that dish. Uh, prior to that, a few days before that, she just made an impromptu, this impromptu dish of these potatoes, which is like, it's simply just that, just cut up potatoes, fried, but she adds the chorizo and then, um, you can add, you know, cheese if you'd like. I do because I like cheese. That's a whole, or I'm going to do a whole podcast on cheese. I guarantee it. But, um, I talked to her about it afterwards. You know, I said, you know, you can taste like the care, you know, the love, because typically she's doing it for loved ones, you know, family or friends. And and then finally, the beans with the ham hock is this is this the same deal? And I talked, I asked her, I wanted to interview her about each of them. But basically, what it boiled down to is simply that there's a direct relationship with her and the food that translates to the final outcome and she told me like you know with say for example the potatoes you cook them uh sep- you cook each of the individual ingredients separately instead of all together and even that in itself i find uh the detail in that is is very deliberate but the deliberation is part of the love cooking it all together you don't have the same the same effect um matter of fact as a as a uh, as an example i think uh, buford was talking about the first guy that he worked with in washington dc before he even left for uh, for france or italy or any of these places this guy michelle richard who uh, is uh, was yet another flamboyant french lunatic cook who would, uh, who, who would uh, address himself as Michel Richard, you know, in some flamboyant, insane way. But um, 
he talked about how Richard made this ratatouille that there are two versions, two different ways of making it. One is to make it all in one, and that has a completely different uh, visceral reaction and outcome than it would to cook each in- ingredient individually and the care with which each one is done and then ultimately combined together to uh, to make what it is uh, that incites your reaction that, that you know there's different ways of manipulating love from each of these meals and I, I thought that was was fascinating so that in an uh, yeah that that's uh that's the uh maybe the key the secret you know is the translation of passion within whatever whatever vocation you know it's not limited it's not limited to comedy or cooking or sales car sales um you know you can see when if you go see somebody live or you you know you listen to a stand-up comic and it's just not landing and 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 they're up there eating their balls and uh, it's just they're dying a de- a slow death it's it's they may be reading or performing the same act they did the night before but it's just landing like a thud like a lead balloon and you can see it and it's not a um, it's not a um, it's not a mystery it's just not translating it's not there's something missing there you're phoning it in you're you're watching passionless uh, performance and uh, yeah so you know when a comic bombs it's very apparent when a you know when you when a when a chef just doesn't give a fuck. I mean, go to Olive Garden. I mean, that's it. They should call that place not giving a fuck. You know, it's, 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 you know, the food you get there is, it's just like going to Chili's. It's like going to, you know, just void of life, void of, um, it comes through in the food. You don't even have to see who's cooking it to know that they just are... You can pick up through a meal how the chef, how the cook, or how the shorter line cook is watching the clock. Or if he's taking too much Coke. Or if he's had not enough Coke. Or something. You know? If you... <laughs> Alright, I'm going to wrap it up now. But I'm going to end it like this. We had a, a meeting one day. We had a new hire when I worked for Nissan. We all we all we all went in the conference room. Is 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 typically the situation when uh, on Fridays you have we have meetings for the weekend. How many appointments you got? What's going on? How's everybody doing? What are the numbers? Blah blah blah. And then if there's a new hire, they get to introduce themselves. Tell them tell you know tell us a little bit about themselves, and then go from there. So we had this new guy who. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what his background, I mean, he had some, he had some shit going on in his life. I don't know. He pulled up in this rust bucket that my manager, Jeff called the uh, tetanus, the tetanus, uh, express or something like that. You know, like you just don't get too close to it unless you have your inoculations, uh, in order. And, uh, but he had, there was something kind of off about him something distracted about him, something not quite legit, maybe. Far be it for me to kind of initially, I mean, we all prejudge. Don't fucking lie, you do. You fuck, don't fuck. Uh, anyway, so as the meeting kind of rambled on and, the, and came down to an end before the day started, he they asked him to, uh, you know, stand up and introduce yourself, tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself. And he stood up, I... I wish I could remember his name. He goes, he goes, you know, he looked around. There's probably like, there's probably like a dozen guys, nine, ten guys, maybe. He goes, uh, you know, I'm not really in a talkative mood right now. But as the day goes on uh, later on this week, I'll get, 
I'll, 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 uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know, you know, we'll get to know each other. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, fuck, this is great. <laughs> this fucker's gonna get fired. I was looking this, I was looking at Jeff and he didn't, he didn't even, he didn't even register like a reaction. Like, but I knew like, what do you mean? I'm not in the talkative mood. That's what you fucking do. <laughs> this is crazy. This guy's, the, let the countdown begin. This guy was fired before the end of the day. Not in the talking mood. That's your bread and butter, bitch. Like, that's that was the best. Fuck yeah. I love shit like that. But you got to bring it, son. It's called passion. You got to bring it. You know? You, uh, you can't charge a dead battery off another dead battery, son. So you're going to, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a dog eat dog world out there and we're all wearing milk bone underwear. So you got to go out there, you know, with all the chambers loaded and you can't be in the non-talkative mood in the car sale business. So, so that being said, yeah, he was here today, gone today. But bring a little passion, man. That's what it's all about. That's what I'm telling you. A little passion. Getting, you know, going back to my boy Tom Waits, man. You listen to some of his albums, dude, that's hard to listen to. You know, you got to really... This is an easy listing. It's very deliberate shit, but it's good. It's passion. You can sense the passion. You can't phone in shit like that. You can't phone in foie gras. You can't phone in fucking Vichy Soie. You can't phone in, you know, live at the Sunset Strip. Excuse me. Oh, Jesus. Well, on that note, I'm going to let you go. I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci, babies.